Spoiler alert. This is a Dissecting Dexter podcast. Reviewing Dexter Season 5. There will be plot information for Season 5, and possibly previous seasons. You have been warned. Welcome back, guys. Dissecting Dexter again. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, and this week we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, First Blood. Now, it's funny that I'm sat here talking to you again. It doesn't seem two minutes since I was last recording. And I'll be honest, I've not done a weekly podcast like this before. My other podcast, Gareth's Waste of Time, I was getting them done once a fortnight uh, while the last season of Lost was going on, and, and that kept me busy enough. But it's, it's funny, I don't seem to upload one episode that I'm having to prepare for the next one. But but it's all good. I'm enjoying, um, enjoying doing these, and I hope... Uh, Hope you're enjoying listening. Before we get stuck into the episode, here's the usual contact information. You can email me, dissectingdexter at gmail.com, or you can follow the show on Twitter, at dissectdexter, or there's also my personal Twitter, which is at gareth underscore UK, if you're interested in seeing what else, hearing about what else I get up to. Uh, although it's mostly, uh, mostly TV chat that goes on on there. The listener lines for the show in the US, the number is 206-350-6166. And in the UK, 0844-579-6949. And you enter mailbox ID 08320 when you're prompted. Now, as for ratings for Dexter, as, as I seem to have made it a regular thing to comment on and it is interesting because they always have a bearing on whether a show is renewed just ask caprica this week that's become the latest casualty the last episode of dexter beauty and the beast got 1.94 million viewers for its 9 p.m airing which is a season high so good news Okay, so this week's episode is called First Blood, directed by Romeo Taroni, directing his third episode of Dexter, having been director of photography since season one, episode two. He also directed last season's episode, If I Had a Hammer, and directs another episode later this season, bringing his total to three. This episode was written by Tim Schlattman, and... When I saw his name as writer, I was pleased. He's been involved with the show from the very start, so in the absence of Clyde Phillips, we need people like Tim for that connection with the birth of the show. Right, let's go. So when we joined Dexter this week, he talks about dark places and the scene reveals Dexter with Harrison at a parent and baby group and it's quite well it's quite an amusing situation in itself Dexter being amongst all these normal well I say normal being amongst all these mothers and their their babies Uh, talk about a fish out of water but Harrison scratches another baby and when Dexter sees the scratch on the kid's cheek, the placement of it, he says, well, that's a bit too familiar. He checks Harrison's nails and sees nothing, and he says, not even a year old and you're already destroying evidence. That was funny. And, of course, he beats a hasty retreat. It's an amusing scene. And 
I can't read anything into it, although Dexter does, of course. But kids scratch, they push, they rough and tumble. It's part of their learning process, learning boundaries. Scratches will happen. But obviously that's, uh, that's where we get the reference to the episode title, First Blood. Dexter meets Lumen in a cafe, and it would appear that this is becoming a regular fixture for them, uh, having these, these frequent meetings. And Dex has obviously allowed her to be free, but they're meeting up to discuss things. He's, he's really taken a risk in trusting her. She, she wants to have her revenge. She wants Dexter to kill her abusers. And there's more than a hint of desperation in her, in her voice and in her body language. And she's quite obviously a loose cannon. Dexter talks to her like Harry talks to him, advising her not to go down this path because it will only make things worse, not better. And he speaks from experience, of course. And he's got her a plane ticket back to Minnesota, which is generous, but of course he's, he doesn't have, a, have an ulterior motive in getting her as far away from Miami as possible. Dexter tries to step tries to stay one step ahead of Lumen by doing his own research into trying to establish who Boyd's accomplices might have been. He goes back to Boyd's house, but someone's beaten him to it, and he finds a bloody fingerprint. Of course, he identifies the print as Lumen, doing her own detective work, as he confirms when he visits her motel room and sees all sorts of notes and clippings on the wall. He sees that she thinks she's found a target, and Harry appears and talks to him. Dexter, this seemed like the product of a stable mind. The closet was the only place she felt safe from them. She's remade it here. Dexter, are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening. She's not a killer. She's not you. She's coming undone. What's that now? This is the letter she took from Boyd Fowler's house. From his ex-cellmate, Robert Brunner. Getting paroled next week, need a place to sleep. S-L-E-A-P. She's found a target. You don't know what she's planning. I know this isn't going to end well. She keeps going this way, she's going to get herself killed. Or thrown in jail and you're going to be right there with her. Dex, she's going to bring you down. Did anyone else notice the curtain twitching as Dexter knocked on the motel room door? If you didn't, go back and look at it if you can. Just as Dexter's standing waiting for the door to be answered, you can see quite clearly someone touched the neck curtain from the inside. Yet when Dexter went in, no one was there. Now, when I saw the curtain twitch, I thought, oh, Lumen's going to be in there, or she's going to hide, or she's about to answer the door or something. But, but no, nothing. So, yeah, well, quite clearly a mistake, maybe a member of the crew. Dexter meets Lumen again and confronts her about her investigation, and she fobs him off, and when, she, when he reaches for her arm, she shouts, Don't touch me! Which, of course, gets heads turning in the cafe, a bit embarrassing for both of them. But it was clearly an involuntary outburst. Dexter does his best. Excuse me, Dexter does his best to convince her that pursuing these guys is a bad idea and could end up with her dead. And he references the girls that ended up in barrels in the swamp. <clears throat> Dexter gets some information on Robert Brunner, the guy Lumen identified as a possible target. Frances, the records girl, 
who um, I'm sure we've seen before, but back in season four, I think, she brings him the file, and it seems the records office is a draw for jovial females, remembering back to Dexter's previous friend in there. However, it makes sense for Dexter to turn on the charm with them. Dexter sees Brunner's record of, well, pretty unpleasant crimes, sexual abuse and the like, and he thinks maybe, well, maybe Lumen's picked the right guy. So he makes haste and gets there first. That place under the bridge where the sex offenders are relocated to, what a what a horrible, suitably grimy place for these lowlifes. We get some nice drama when Dexter puts Brunner on his table and Harry pops up to talk some sense into him. This room was meant for Boyd, not his cellmate. Your co-workers, partners, basically the same. You're sure? I need to kill him. So Lumen doesn't have to. I don't want her down that road. Think about what you're doing. He's a sex offender. I know. On parole. What do you say? Think! Are you listening? Okay. He's wearing an ankle bracelet. It couldn't have been him. She had the wrong guy. I was ready to kill him. I was ready to kill him. I was ready to kill him! Tell me you didn't love Dexter getting angry there. Thank God for Harry popping up to prevent Dexter killing the wrong person. Even if that person was a scumbag who should have been castrated as well as being stuck under that bridge with all the other deviants. Sorry about that. A bit harsh maybe, or maybe not. But Dexter realises how his judgement has been clouded by his haste to protect Lumen. I think... I think this is another manifestation of how messed up his head is following Rita's death. Viewers have said how the grief thing hasn't been followed up on enough, but I think it's still very much there. Dexter just hasn't got the capability to recognise it, but it's worrying how reactionary he's become. He goes to see Lumen the next day and finds he's too late. She's gone to the bridge herself to find Brunner, so she goes there. She's in this place chock full of perverts, sex offenders and other deviants, and she goes there disguised in just a hooded top. She's taking a massive risk. Did she not think someone someone there would notice? Dexter stops her before she can shoot Brunner, and he explains how the parole tag um, pretty much gives Brunner an alibi and how he couldn't have been one of the offenders or the tag records would have shown. He says he checked, and interestingly, Lumen doesn't query how he was able to check, but I guess in the heat of the moment, he's so hell-bent on revenge that she's not thinking too clearly. She's obviously just prepared to do anything to try and make the pain go away. A nice performance by Julia Stiles in this scene, and in the episode in general, actually. Dexter seemingly manages to convince her to go home, use the plane ticket that he got her. He drops her off at the airport, of course, and in their conversation, he tells her his surname, which I was amazed by. Okay, it's another gesture of trust, but has he completely forgotten how unstable this girl is, or about the code and ensuring he stays protected and undiscovered? Now Lumen has his full name and his phone number. So she goes through to airport security, and there's there's a very powerful well-produced moment when she sets off the metal detector and has to be frisked. 
it's a really well produced moment, as I say, done in slow mo as the female security officer runs a hand all over Lumen's body, checking. And Lumen looks at passing male passengers who she sees as looking back at her suggestively. You can see the trauma returning to her face, but she holds it together amazingly. You really felt like she was going to explode at any second. And again, it's a really good performance from Julia Stiles. And of course, as we saw, it seems that little moment brought back so much fear and pain. All the trauma came rushing back to her and it renewed her lust for revenge and she takes a cab back to the city. So elsewhere in the episode, uh, the Deb and Quinn thing, we get the morning after scene with Deb, shirt unbuttoned, Quinn in a towel. Ugh. And uh, she goes off to work a bit pissed off at um, Quinn being taken off the case, or, or at least given given leave. Um, and he lies to um, cover up the real reason for his absence from work. And Deb lies to Dexter about it, uh, the, the Quinn thing, and gets caught later on in an amusing scene. Thoroughly uncomfortable. Quinn in Deb's apartment. And it's funny how Deb calls him Joseph. And Dexter's no idiot, but... Quinn still spots Dexter's gloves in his back pocket and remarks that oh, it's a bit warm for gloves, Dexter. And uh, Deb comes clean with Dexter and admits that they're fuck buddies. Actually, Deb has some really good lines in this episode. I have a clip I wanted to play, the bit where Batista asks her about the IA guy. Wait. What? Give me your opinion as a female. As a female? As a woman, you know. McCoy. What about him? You find him attractive. Do you? I mean, would you ever... I would rather put a campfire out with my face. Okay. With the Santa Muerta case, Deb and Batista go to the hospital to speak to the young guy who was cut by the machete nutter last week. Is it Fuentes, his name? The mother of the victim's there and Deb's nervous, but she gets a hug from her, which was nice that she gets a bit of reassurance from this, easing her pain and uh, from feeling responsible for getting the kid hurt, or rather from the kid getting hurt. Although, of course, Deb feels responsible, but it wasn't her fault. And from this questioning of the, of the young guy, uh, they get a lead. Um, to investigate a tattoo on Fuente's hand. Excuse me. And this takes us on to Masuka, who helps them in this regard. Although we do get uh, an insight um, in a scene that Masuka's absent from, but uh, Dexter's on the computer, and uh, Deb makes a remark about Masuka's midget porn on there and says that he, she might have seen it. Um, oh, God. Uh, we get we get another funny scene um, where Masuka is showing off his uh, his tattoo of a dragon lady on his back, and he says about it representing the. Uh, I, th I think if I hear it right, he said the dualities of his inner warrior. What the, f what really? But the funniest thing was, uh, and there wasn't it wasn't remarked on, uh, but his underwear. Leopard skin pants. 
Oh, and as he turns round, we get a hint of another tattoo in his crotch area, a dragon tail poking out from his uh, genital area. God knows what's underneath those pants, and quite frankly, I don't think we need to know. But I thought that was funny, that he, he had leopard skin underwear on. Um, Masuka goes with Deb to his tattoo place, and they have some funny banter between them. Thanks to Deb and Masuka, this is one of the funniest episodes in a while. I, I like the little spark from the tattoo girl towards Deb, something Masuka, of course, latches onto. Meanwhile, Officer Manzoni is going through ATM camera footage of people taking the maximum amounts out of their accounts, and they get a list of names to chase up in case they've been targeted too. Deb and Mazone go to check on one of the names and find one of the most gruesome scenes in Dexter history. The special effects people did a really great job of producing these manky, bug-infested corpses. Not something you'd want to see while eating, that's for sure. Dexter joins the crime scene crew back in his old role. He's back at work, it seems. He thinks these people were the Santa Muerta killer's first victims. Another thing in this scene... Deb spots the tattoo she was trying to identify. She spots it on a poster advertising a nightclub, so they get another lead. <coughs> oh, excuse me. There's a nice moment when Masuka remarks how they're all back together again, one happy family. Perhaps not the best choice of words, given what Dexter's been through, but he meant no harm, and it doesn't even register with Dexter in that way. He just looks around at Deb and Batista looking at the poster, Laguert is there talking to the press, and Masuka giving him a grin, giving him the thumbs thumbs up as he returns inside to the murder scene. And Dexter gives a little smile and agrees. He seems reassured by the stability of his teammates here, having them all around him, like old times. They're a kind of family for him, and represent the status quo. Harping back to a time before, um, before Trinity turned his world upside down. He seems to take solace from the normality at work, a bit of a respite from the mess in his domestic situation. Anyone else might hear Masuka's remarks and get upset, thinking of the family they'd lost, but not Dexter. Uh, oh, I'll have to talk about it. Batista and Laguerta. Uh, in this episode, she was behaving a bit suspiciously, making herself up being evasive, coming home late, and you can see what he's suspecting. He sees her getting in the car with McCourt, the IA guy, and Batista ends up snooping on a phone and finding out about a meeting with McCourt, and he goes and puts his foot right in it. They're working on a sting. LaGuert is helping McCourt in return for help with Batista's case, and we see a sorry-looking guy in the next room, and sharp-eyed viewers will notice a well, more than a passing resemblance to Peter Weller. We get shown him a few times just to make sure we recognise him, which wasn't really necessary. Uh, but there we go. Anyway, Angel and Maria have a domestic, and boy is he in bother. Now, I did have some hope for Batista and his storyline about being in some peril with this IA case, but now it's turned into a domestic argument that again descends the two of them into mediocrity and irrelevance. However, Batista did have a valid point when he asked her why she didn't simply tell him she was doing a job for, for McCourt. That could have avoided all the grief this week, but, well, maybe that tells us <laughs> that tells us something. Maybe that was calculated on the writer's part. Could we suspect again that they just have nothing substantial for either of these characters? Last thing I want to mention 
is Quinn in a bar with the Peter Weller character sharing a drink. Uh, Peter Weller is obviously playing uh, an officer. As we were indeed tipped off about in the um, uh, hiatus uh, casting news. So, yeah, they're sharing a drink, complaining about La Guerta, uh chewing the fat. And Quinn enlists his help to follow Dexter. And it sounds like Quinn's going to pay uh, this guy for his help out of his own pocket. I like this turn of events in the Quinn storyline, not least because it'll put pe- pressure on Dexter, although he won't immediately know it. And Quinn seems to have forgotten his hesitation about getting involved with Deb. The hesitation I gave him credit for last week. And then in Deb's apartment, he had a a cocky swagger and tried to kiss Deb in front of Dexter. It was arrogant bravado right in Dexter's face, and it, it just made him look like a douche. So, to sum up the episode, I actually like this episode quite a lot, and I think a lot of the credit has to go to the performance of Julius Stiles, who, again, did a really great job of portraying the pain and a simmering in a rage that I think we've we've still yet to see explode. I like this troubled character, and I like how Dexter seems obliged to protect her. However, his recklessness hasn't gone away, and his need to protect Lumen is clouding his judgment. He seems too hasty to help her. Thank God Harry stepped in, or the code would have been broken again. So, as I said, it's clear Dexter's head is still in a muddle, And I put this down to grief. I hoped this season would explore how Dexter dealt with the grief. And I predicted that this season's nemesis would be Dexter himself. And that seems to be... It seems to be becoming true. He maybe started to realise this week with Brunner that his hastiness nearly caused a big problem. Yet he's still given Lumen his name and phone number. It's good that Dexter's filling the love back in the police department. He's been a bit lost since Rita died. But he knows where he is at work. Perhaps it's his only source of stability at the moment. And he needs that. Maybe getting back into work mode will help him straighten himself out. Well, I say help him. I I kind of hope it doesn't because it'll be much more interesting to see him unravel even more. Listener feedback. Okay, so feedback time. Uh, firstly, thanks for the uh, the latest iTunes review that's gone up on the, the US iTunes store. Thanks to Emily Jane 2008 uh, for your kind words. Much appreciated. Uh, anyone else who feels so inclined to um, show support for the show um, via an iTunes review, you're very welcome. And, uh, of course, as, as you've seen, I'll, I'll happily give credit in the show. Um, emails this week. Matt Humphrey's written in uh, the subject... Uh, said it all and and although quite frankly when I saw the subject um, I was a bit nervous as to whether he was going to be complaining about um, about the show itself Um, sorry the podcast itself the subject was ah and he writes I can't stand it anymore all this complaining from Dexter viewers and podcast listeners about the pace and excitement level of the first few episodes of season five is getting to me This happens every single season. It's like everybody has short-term memory loss each year. Every season starts out with everybody being critical and saying they're underwhelmed about each week's episode for the first two, three or four shows. But then, by the end of the whole thing, everyone goes crazy and proclaims, Oh my God! Best season ever! 
do they not realise that each season has to start out relatively slow compared to the climactic final few episodes it's leading towards? The writers have to lay the groundwork and set up story elements that'll carry through to their finish at the end of the season, where it gets really exciting. Mark my words, everyone is hoeing and humming now, but at the end you will hear them all turn around, oh my god, best season ever. And then if there is a season six, the cycle of criticism will repeat, with people complaining about the first few episodes, completely forgetting that they'd been through the motions before. P.S. Season three was an exception to this rule. It was subpar throughout. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I understand your pain. It's fair to say that not everyone is going to like the show the same, but you're right. The previous seasons have sometimes been slow off the mark, taking time to set things up, and this season is no exception, but... It has perhaps been a little slower than some. And that's not to say it hasn't been interesting and intriguing. I'm fascinated to see Dexter behaving the way he has, in ways I've talked about in the podcast. Yes, the writers do have to lay the groundwork and shouldn't have to rush it, but I guess we all have a limit to our patience and some will have less than others, quite naturally. We're all different. And there are only 12 episodes in a season, so... I don't know. Maybe they do have to... Um, keep things moving and don't have an eternity to uh, to set things up so i guess we can forgive people and myself included to a certain extent for getting a little impatient for the pace to pick up a bit but i really hope you're right matt and that by the end of the season we'll all be saying best season ever although honestly i'd settle for us just saying one of the best seasons ever we've had another email from matt cook who's jotted down some points coming out of the latest episode uh, first blood and he says who would have thought c.s lee was all tattooed up like that he does have the best laugh on tv though <laughs> yeah i'm not sure whether they were real tattoos or whether it was the makeup department doing a good job but uh yeah who'd have thought um masuka had had all that under his shirt actually i've just realized you probably meant to say who'd have thought masuka was all tattooed up like that as opposed to the actor uh forgive me <laughs> yeah um yeah, who'd have thought Masuka would have had all those tattoos under there? Uh, and, and the leopard skin underpants as well. Who'd have thought? He's just full of surprises, isn't he? But I love how they throw these little things out there from time to time with Masuka. Uh, he's definitely uh, a firm favourite. Matt's second point. LaGuerta playing up to the internal affairs guy? OK, I was wrong about that, and I guess that's good. But it was still kind of cop show stereotypical. Yeah, I suppose there's only so much they can do with LaGuerta, and uh, maybe it's inevitable that they're going to pull out one or two things that have been done before. Uh, I don't know. Not out of ten for originality, I suppose, but um, I don't know what what else they're going to do with her. They they don't seem to have any fresh ideas for either Batista or LaGuerta. Matt's third point. I like the desperation when Dexter has the guy on the table. Coming undone may be the last step before he's finally compelled to let the dark passenger go. Yeah, as I said, I'm constantly fascinated to see Dexter behaving in these surprising ways this season. Um, and I'm all for it. I, I hope for more of it. Matt's fourth point. Quinn looks like an eight-year-old. Suddenly his acting is about like an eight-year-old too. Well, <laughs> responding to that, um, yeah, Desmond Harrington, he's not the best actor in the world, but I think he does an okay job as, as the character and... Um, They've not made Quinn too much of a deep character. Uh, although I was encouraged by um, 
some redeeming qualities in the last in the previous couple of episodes but he does seem to have waded into um shagging deb now so um i don't know we'll see matt continues in an area like that even with a hood on wouldn't a girl get noticed pretty quick now matt's obviously referring to lumen going to uh was it tuttle bridge um yeah i i remarked in my review that um it was a bit of a dodgy disguise just wearing a hooded top. Um, you'd have thought someone would have, someone would have noticed. Unless you want me to hunt you down, please email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Thank you. Matt's next point. You can certainly understand the feelings that Lumen was going through getting searched like that. I can't imagine how hard that would be to deal with. Yes, indeed, Matt, I can't agree more uh, and as i said in my review i thought that was a great scene kudos to producers and julia styles for a great scene one of the highlights of the season so far uh matt's seventh point wow robocop can down some shots uh matt there is obviously referring to the fact that peter weller popped up in this episode um and peter weller played robocop in i think it was the original two robocop movies um yeah. <laughs> Point eight. Matt says, The episode was okay. I'm just not feeling the pain and anguish from Dexter that I would expect to see coming from someone who lost the wife he loved. He isn't even showing the range of emotions he used to in the first few seasons, when he was more comfortable with who he is. I like the manic passion he shows at times, but that was always a treat because he was so composed and methodical the rest of the time. I absolutely hate being one of those people who just react negatively to stuff and not finding the good but I'm sadly there. I get that it was bound to be a hard act to follow after Lithgow, but I have the definite shark jump feeling right about now. Still seven episodes to go, and I'm still believing it will get back to its stride. Matt then followed up to this on Twitter. In the cold light of day, his feelings eased a bit, and he said, and I quote, To be honest, I actually enjoyed the episode. Those were the ramblings of a sleep-deprived dad writing as he watches. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I can empathise with that, mate. I'm permanently tired at the moment. Our youngest is waking at about 5.30 every day, just about every day. And I'm dreading this weekend when the clocks go back an hour for the end of British summertime. God, he'll be up at oh, 4.30, jeez. But sometimes I'm brimming with thoughts after an episode. Um, but really, for me, personally, I find it's good to sleep on it and let things ferment. Um, and usually my thoughts are clear in the morning. But I understand you being... Um, inspired to uh, to email in immediately after the episode and i'm certainly not going to uh, criticize you for for writing in because as i say i appreciate any and all feedback that gets sent in and, and you've uh, contributed regularly and i appreciate that um as for getting the jump the shark feeling um i'll put that down to uh, sleep deprivation and i i shan't be calling the um the feds to come around and arrest you uh, for for um treason just yet uh, so uh, I'll let you off that one. Um, but you, you raise plenty of valid points. Um, moving on, uh, I had a voicemail from Constance in North Dakota. She's um, emailed in before. Uh, let's play that. Hi, Gareth. This is Constance calling from North Dakota. I just finished listening to your podcast for the Dexter episode, uh, Beauty and the Beast. 
And um, I thought it was funny you mentioned um, uh, that the two Mexican guys um, who Deb tracked down in the last episode reminded you of the cousins from Breaking Bad, because that's kind of what I thought of, too, Um, which also got me thinking, um, would you ever consider doing a Breaking Bad podcast in the future? I think that would be pretty cool, because as I've been enjoying your Dissecting Dexter one, this year. Um, also, um, my thoughts about this episode, I thought it was, I felt it was kind of a redemption episode for the season that um, it kind of set up the story going forward for the rest of the season. Um, I guess I don't feel as critical as some of your other listeners do, but I don't nitpick, I guess. I just kind of enjoy it as it comes, but that's just my opinion. So I'm uh, looking forward to future episodes and your podcasts to follow. So great job, and um, maybe I'll phone in again. Bye. Thanks for ringing, Constance. It's great to hear from you after your email a week or so before. You mentioned a Breaking Bad podcast, and I'm flattered, honestly, that you'd like to hear me do a podcast on something else. Um, Breaking Bad is definitely a show that I enjoy. In my opinion, it's one of the best shows of recent years. Whether I do a podcast on it, I don't know. When season five of Dexter is over, I'll be getting back into the rewatches, finishing off season one, podcasting on that, and then working my way through seasons two, three, and four. I also have my Gareth's Waste of Time podcast. I don't know if you've checked any of those out. But in terms of listenership, it's definitely Dissecting Dexter that gets the most subscribers, perhaps not uh, not surprisingly. Once I'm done with Dexter, though, I'm sure I won't want to give up podcasting altogether, so I will be looking for another show to talk about. Maybe there'll be a new show by then that inspires me to want to talk about it. As for Breaking Bad, great show, but there's already a good podcast that covers the show called Behind the Cutting Edge, the Breaking Bad edition. It's on iTunes and can uh, can be found at uh, BehindTheCuttingEdge.com. Definitely check that out if you're into Breaking Bad. Um, They also have an Essential Movies podcast that's a lot of fun. Your comment about the last episode, Beauty and the Beast, as being a kind of redemption for the season, it suggests you've not been completely sold on this season before that. If that's the case, it's good things have turned around for you. There has been some negative criticism going around, so it's great to get some positive feedback on the show to balance things out. I'll talk a little bit more um, in a minute on where I am with the season. But for now, thanks again for ringing. If you feel so inclined to email or ring in, the email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com or the listener lines 24-7. You can ring in the US 206-350-6166 or in the UK it's 0844-579-6949 And for the UK number, you then need to enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. As always, a small spoiler warning if you don't want to know anything about the next episode. Skip on a couple of minutes if that's the case. Okay? Good. (laughs) The next episode is called Everything is Illuminated and will represent the halfway stage of the season. We do seem to have established the direction for Dexter this season. He's still struggling with his grief. His head is seemingly all over the place, and he's making lapses of judgment. 
he seems like he's finding some comfort in being back at work with people he knows. That smile that crossed his face when Masuka made the comment about being one big happy family, I felt a bit sad for him. For one who historically only needed people for a cover, he sure seems to need to feel the benefit of having people around him, to feel like he belongs somewhere. And that, my friends, is yet another example of Dexter having normal human emotions. And perhaps it's a normal human reaction to want to help Lumen, help her stay out of trouble, return her to her family and not go down the slippery slope that Dexter did. He speaks from experience when he tells her that seeking vengeance to ease the pain is not the answer. The synopsis for the next episode says, Striving to bring some normalcy back into his shattered life, Dexter figures the answer lies in finding a new serial killer to bring down, but his quest gets thrown off course when his troubled new acquaintance requires his help. Meanwhile, Batista uncovers a revealing new lead in the Santa Muerta homicides, and Quinn gets a tip about Dexter, but he's not sure he can trust his source, and LaGuerta comes to a tragic end. <laughs> OK, so I made up the bit about LaGuerta, but from this we can gather that Dexter quickly discovers Lumen's come back to town, but I wonder what this tip that Quinn gets. This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. Keep up to date with the show on Twitter. Follow at Dissect Dexter. Well, where am I with season five now? Um, I talked last week and stated that I'm kind of on the fence at the moment, and I ranked the season, uh, well, no no worse than season three. I mean, for me, season three uh, would would come at the bottom of the chart if, if I had to rank all the, all the seasons. And season five would certainly, without doubt, be above that. I mean, maybe it's not, f- well, <laughs> I'll be honest, it, it isn't fair for me to definitively rank season five at this point where not even halfway through the season and I, I'm consigning it to um, the lower ranks. Um, so, I don't know. I'd, I don't want to sound like I'm backpedalling. Um, but certainly, so far, that is where I would rank season five. This latest episode was possibly my favourite episode of the season so far behind the premiere. I really enjoyed the... Uh, I really enjoyed episode one, My Bad. Um, and I would put First Blood as uh, in second place behind that one. So on that, I would say season five is turning around for me. Um, I certainly hadn't hated the season. I certainly wouldn't say I dislike the season. I've been enjoying it, uh, but just not as much as previous seasons, with the exception of season three. Um, so I'm certainly not um, not going to pour negativity all over the season. Um, but... You know, looking at what I'm doing here, I'm doing a podcast on a TV show. I would, it would be remiss of me if I didn't point out the negatives as well as the positives. Um, I, I've got to, uh, I've got to give an honest opinion and um, try and present a, a fair and balanced review. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying things. I think the season is looking promising. Uh, there's lots of scope still to be. Um, there's there's lots still to be explored with Dexter in, in this sort of disarray that he's in, um, making these mistakes. He's he's going to slip up more. I, I I just know it. Um, 
and uh, and this dynamic with Lumen, there's loads of of, of good stuff still to uh, to explore there. So I'm looking forward to um how, to, to where things are going, um, but the risk of, of bringing up an old subject, the the supporting characters, Batista Batista and Laguerta again. Um, <laughs> the less said about them, the better. I'm afraid. Um, I, I really ha- well, I don't know what will turn them around. Kill one of them off. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going to save them. Something drastic, definitely. Uh, Masuka, I'm loving. Um, I was glad to, he, he got more screen time this week. Um, Quinn, I still think there's uh, there's good stuff to come from him. Uh, and, and Deb, um, she's kind of there. I, I, I like how they're, they're showing her, uh, her vulnerability there, admitting how Dexter and, and Harrison are the most important people to her. Um, but we've always known she has a vulnerable side to her uh, and and that that's an endearing quality and i think that's always meant that we've we've always had a soft spot for deb especially her potty mouth that my friends brings us to the end of another dissecting dexter thanks very much for listening i've enjoyed talking to you it's been a pleasure as always um leave feedback send in feedback ring in i'd love to hear from you especially uh, especially new callers new new emailers but uh regular contributors as well all welcome <laughs> um i i do kind of um do I sound a bit too begging when I'm talking about feedback? I'm getting a bit aware that I'm harping on about it a bit too much. Um, I'll, I'll save you the boredom of, of going through the phone numbers again. I'll just say thanks for listening and uh, we'll be dissecting some more Dexter next week. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.